everyone, and welcome back to the show. Amy Weber Unleashed. I am Amy Weber, of course. I've got the coolest guest on my show today, John Orlando. Oh, that's so weird. I got so excited. I was like, wow, who's on with us? <laughs> it was me. Thank you so much for coming. Hey, yeah, it was easy. <laughs> I mean, this whole entire thing really was born out of, you know, us having a yeah. reconnection and getting it together. Yeah, it's so cool. It's What I loved is you were so excited about it. Like I was, I know. I was like, I get to do something and get maybe possibly paid to just talk yeah. and not shut up. It's good. Yeah. yeah. You having fun with it? I love it. It's really, you know, it's cathartic for me, and I'm really hopeful that it's going to change people. I yeah. mean, you know, I'm like one person at a time, you know, probably seems really corny. But but hopefully, I mean, look, I think that if anyone can share their story and their struggle, that the fact that they came through it and were successful in spite of it, um, I think is a good thing to share. Yeah, for no, sure. There's no wrong with that. Are you releasing these in the order that you recorded them? I don't know. I haven't decided. I mean, I think I might start, but it, it might be that if one is more similar to another, then yeah. I may kind of mix them up and stuff. So Because the last show I saw you do was intense. That was good. That was crazy. Yeah, that was yeah, good. That one really talked, went in depth about my uh, my infertility struggles and that whole journey and stuff. So so how long have, have you ever been on this side of the... Yeah, microphone? a couple times. You yeah. have? Yeah, yeah. Do you like it or do you rather be in control? Uh, uh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I like being in control. Not, I wouldn't say that, say it that way, but, um, I don't know if I'm interesting to be on this side. <laughs> really? Yeah, I have I so know. many questions for really? you. Like and we have, we have such a rich history. <laughs> well, I want to know because obviously your father was quite famous yeah. when you, how old were you when your dad really kind of made it big? Um, well, his first, he had his first number one the year I was born, okay. which was Candida and Knock Three Times. Both those songs were 71. Okay. Tyler Ribbon was 73, so I was three. I was born in 70. Okay, me so, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so you know, I don't know any better than growing up with a famous dad, you know? I kind of wish I was a little older. Um, so you could have enjoyed it Back a then, bit yeah, because I didn't, really, I was so young, I didn't really get it, you know? So it didn't seem different than any of your friends that you had an incredibly famous father that was on TV? Yeah, but I did like I said stupid things because I didn't know any better. So like um, I uh, and I don't remember doing this. My mom tells me these stories. Okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, I guess I went to a Dodger game. So we had season tickets like the Dodgers. We of had, course like, you did. We had like the dugout <laughs> seats and like they were great. And you know, my dad, my dad was big back in the day. You know, in the seventies, yes. like because you gotta remember there was no satellite TV. There was no social media. There wasn't even Fox. Wow. As a network yet. Okay. It was CBS, NBC, ABC. So he had a show on CBS every Wednesday night on top of the recording stuff. You know, he had a variety show for three years on CBS. So yeah. you had to watch my dad's show, even if you didn't like him. You only had two other choices. <laughs> you had no choice. Right. So just out of boredom, you know. Was this before or after the Sonny and Cher show? So he replaced Sonny and Cher. They got divorced. And they Tony Orlando and Dawn was the replacement show. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, so I grew up. Obviously, living like uh, you know the rock star life, whatever. Not I mean, he wasn't like rock star like behavior right. wise, but I just mean the the fame stuff. Um, and so then I guess I got invited to go to a Dodger game from by one of my friends, like with their tickets. And I guess I was at the house and I asked the um, his mom. I was like seven or eight. I was like, "What time does the limo come to pick us up?" Because Dodger game meant you. <laughs> Ride in the limo. Doesn't everyone take a limo to the Dodger game? Of I didn't course. know. Yeah. Right. Who knew? Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's crazy because um, 
I, I mean, I was never really into like rock stars. There, yeah. there wasn't my thing. But um, I did date a guitarist for Vince Neil of mm. Motley Crue yep. fame. And he had said, oh, you should come on tour with us. And I thought, yeah, what a splendid idea, <laughs> right, at the time. Until I was actually on the tour bus and sort of backstage and seeing what happened. And I thought, you know, these stories about these women, what they'll do and say to the bodyguards to... Oh, it is all true. It's so funny that you say that. So I had, we used to do a show called Vegas Junkies um, that we're going to bring back. But uh, okay. uh, we had DJ Ashba on the show, um, who's not a DJ. His real name is is DJ. Um, oh. <laughs> but uh, he replaced Slash in Guns N' Roses. And so he's a guitar player. Yeah. So he was on the road with Guns N' Roses for like six or seven years. And one of the questions I asked him on that show is I said, you know, when people picture like you guys being, you know, on tour, like just, you know, crushing girls and, and de you know, destroying hotel rooms and partying your ass off. Is that really what it's like? And I thought maybe he was going to say no. And he goes, oh, that's exactly what it's like. That's exactly <laughs> what it's like. Actually, we were in I believe we were in maybe Canada. It was snowing. I just remember it was snowing really late, like three, four in the morning. And I just remember getting back on the tour bus and somehow, I don't know how it transpired, but I just see this naked woman being drugged by her hair, <laughs> like, and thrown off the bus, like a yeah. bag of trash. And I'm, at the, I'm like, what are you doing? You know, and like, whatever, Vince was like, you thought, like, fuck you fucking asshole. It's not funny. Right. It's a human being. Like, yeah. what are you doing? And well, you know, she was like, literally, I think she had a bottle of Jack in one hand and they had her hair in the other and off she went. And it was just, just eye opening. And I wow. thought, yeah, I can't be around this situation. How old were you then? Definitely mid 20s. Okay. Yeah. Mid 20s. How long were you with him with the guy? Yeah, like three weeks. Oh, okay. Four weeks. So it, just, quick, it was a quick, yeah, yeah. the tour was enough. It was enough. An yeah. eye-opener to say, I don't really want to be around these kind of individuals. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny. Um, were you and I ever at the Playboy Mansion together? I don't know if we ever were together. We threw a couple events there. I don't know, like maybe in 06 or 07, we did a, we did an, an, an event there the night of the baseball all-star game, the night before the ESPY Awards. Okay. It was called All-Star Night at the Mansion. We did it with Rodney Pete. Were you ever there with Rodney Pete? And Holly Is that Holly Rod? Uh, no. The, for Holly Rod Foundation? No. That oh. seems like it's very, um, like, you know, clean and yeah. uh, home, homey and no. I was only there when people were scantily clad. Okay, yeah, well, yeah. it was scantily clad. Oh, they but were. It, it okay. wasn't, yeah, but, um, you know, it's still a Playboy Mansion. But, uh, but yeah, it wasn't, uh, I mean, it wasn't a heft party. You know, right. But, I mean, there were still, you know, body-painted girls and girls in lingerie. And, you know, yeah. It's pretty crazy. That whole thing. I, sp I actually love the mansion. I spent most of the time there. Well, it's different because when you're working the event, it, it, you're, you're in work mode, whatever. Right. But like I used to just love going back in the back there and feeding those monkeys with those grapes and stuff. Oh my those gosh! All the animals. Snatch it right out of your hand. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think most people got to experience that because that was sort of cordoned off when they were having the parties and stuff. Yeah, I was always um, afraid to go into the grotto mm. because I just I wasn't sure what was going to be right happening right. in that moment of going into the grotto. And I remember. Um, one time we were, all my friends would be like, you can get in, please get us in. Like, we'll pay you. I'm like, I don't want to get paid, you know? And so there, there was this one girl who, um, really sweet, lovely, lovely friend of mine, always wanted to model, but just didn't quite kind of make the cut with anyone. Yeah. I thought she was really pretty, really tall girl, but, um, she was really loud. 
like when she spoke, she's one of those <laughs> loud talkers. Yeah. And so you were always hoping that she never, you know, broached a topic while anyone was, else was around that could be really inappropriate. Well, lo and behold, we're on the bus because you couldn't park normally at the mansion right. unless you were, of course, you know, some uber famous person like yep. Michael Bay. And then um, we're on the bus and they, you know, they're playing music and everyone's partying. And then I don't know what happened, but she's in the middle of telling me this story about her father because I didn't know what her father did for a living. Living, And um, the minute that she goes to say, like we hit a bump, the entire sound system goes down and she goes, and he go, he does penis implants, right? And everyone's just like, <laughs> just stop. Like, and they look at me like somehow I'm responsible, but then she didn't stop there. It's quiet as a mouse. And she's telling me, like, you can go as big as 16 inches. I mean, she's talking really. And I'm just like, got it. That's I got it. That's a lot to handle. It was 16. a lot. <laughs> it's a lo I was just like, who would do that? Yeah. Who would make that choice? How do you? There's definitely someone. How do you There's jog? There's always someone. But how do you jog? Yeah. How do you do anything? <laughs> yeah, do you, you know what I mean? It's just like. Oh my gosh. I remember I was just so embarrassed and I was so happy that I wasn't really a pot smoker. Mm -hmm. My friend had pot that particular time and I'm like, oh God, just please pass it over. Because I was just like, you needed something. I need something. I was mortified because she just kept saying weird things like um, Enrique Iglesias was there and he had removed his mole, his famous mole from yeah. his face. And she just couldn't get past the fact that he had removed the mole. I didn't even know he did that. He did. And so she, she was just like, you know, Enrique! You know what I mean? I'm like, no, please stop. Please, please stop. Yeah. You know what I mean? So she, you know, she, she beelined it for him. Like, you know, where's your mole? What happened? Like, he's like, yeah. Can wow. You get someone get the crazy yeah. chick. Like, who does she belong to? And I was just like, Ur. you know what I mean? But yeah. It was they were good parties up there though. Good they food. They were. No, listen. Yeah. The food was food. incredible. Yeah. The food was really good. I mean, I think as a girl, for me, it was always a matter of what do I wear? Right, because right. like for me, I was like, okay, I need to be in lingerie. I don't want to be in like pajamas, yeah, because that just looks like I'm a complete, you know. Yeah. The rule of thumb on that one there is less is more, you know. <laughs> but then you want to be. For me, I was an actress. I wanted to be respected. Right. So it was a fine line between you know see through and not yeah. see through. And That's probably the hardest part, I would think, of your job back then being an actress is that being sexy but being respected. Right. And you did a good job doing that. I feel because like I was lucky. Because like one week I was doing Fredericks of Hollywood and the next week I was doing JCPenney's. Right. Or I was doing, you know what I mean, Timex sure. or Chrysler and then I would be doing Coors Light. Yep. So I was lucky that I was able to kind of navigate both sides of that spectrum of being very wholesome but then being kind of sexy. And so I know a lot of my friends that were also sort of, you know, modeling, they were, they were so pissed at me. Yeah. You know, because I would kind of try to say to them, even back then I would say to them, listen, I know, like, do you enjoy doing like trucking magazine covers <laughs> right. or low rider, low rider? <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I mean, not, there's yeah. nothing wrong with it, but they're literally paying you shit, yeah. like 50 bucks. Yeah. And until you say, no, I'm better than $50, I'm better than low rider magazine. Yeah. No one else is going to take you seriously. Yeah. Like I was like, I'm not doing that because I feel like I'm worth more. And the minute that I said I'm worth more, the jobs that were worth more came my way. Yeah. I mean, I did one featured extra role and that was for Baywatch. I think we talked about this before. And that was the opening credits of Baywatch. And the strangest thing was that 
there was an older man on the show. I don't remember who who he was, but I just my fondest remember memory of that was first of all the water was cold as hell. I mean California, the West Coast, the right. water doesn't warm up. Yeah, I don't know what happens, but like when you're in Florida, the water is warm. Right. California, it's freezing, dirty, freezing, and, yeah. and not fun unless you're in a full wet suit, right? Like a winter suit. And so the girls are like, oh, and I'm like, are you just do it? Do you understand? We do you understand? They have one take at this. We have dry hair. We go wet hair. You got one take. So you standing around and bitching. It's just getting colder as the kind of sun starts to go down. Just get, your, get in the water, yeah. right? Let's just be done with this. And so as we're, you know, we're waiting, waiting, waiting. And then, um, you know, the the guy, whatever, second AD, third AD, probably fifth AD, whatever he was, was like, you know, background strip. And I thought, what the fuck did you just say to me? Like, I'm a idiot. You know what I mean? Like, did you really tell, tell me to take my strip? Like, I'm not a stripper. I mean, I like strippers. They're cool. You know what I mean? I'll go to a strip club. But like, why would you treat me like that? And in that moment, I thought, no, I'm not. I'm not doing this anymore. And then there was this old man and he was trying to make us feel better. But I think he had gas. He had really <laughs> bad gas that day. And I just thought he kept turning circles. And I kept thinking, sand doesn't make noise. So if you're trying to <laughs> cover for your flatulence that's yeah. very loud, it's not working. I'm like, these. I go, actually, and actually you're making it worse because as you turn, you're basically sharing your stinky flatulence with everyone. Yeah. Because you, you're now a, a windmill. Right. You're a stinky ass windmill. It's no good. And he kept turning and turning and farting and farting. And we were all just like, is anyone else seeing this? Right. <laughs> and then suddenly we're soaking wet. They had no towels for us. And then I said, okay, I'm done with Baywatch. And yeah. then cut to whatever. Three years later, I'm on a glacier in Alaska for the Baywatch movie or whatever it was, for Inside Sports. Do you remember Inside Sports? Yeah, the magazine. Ma magazine. Yeah, 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 sure. So modeled for them, and they're like, oh, so we're going to um, we're gonna do a uh, like a dual thing where we're shooting the magazine within the show. And okay. so you're one of the models for the magazine, so yay, you get to be also on Baywatch. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great. And so Carmen Electra was there. There were a lot of people there, and... Uh, I just start. it just got really uncomfortable because first of all, they wanted me to get into glacial water and they said I had maybe eight minutes before I got hypothermia. And I kept thinking, am I not, I think I'm getting paid editorial rate right. for this and this is yeah. not really worth it. Um, and then I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to be shooting, you know, I'll go and shoot. They dropped me on a, you know, glacier in a bikini and the shots were really cool, whatever. And we're on, we're on a disgusting cruise and I'm in this closet with this other girl and then um they go okay so now we're gonna do this shot like on the boat in this shower I'm like no I'm not I'm not getting in a shower we don't you know so just follow Carmen's lead and so like Carmen's in the shower and she's like like licking like the Emma <laughs> you you want me to do I'm not doing that. You know what I mean? And she's like gyrating, like humping the shower. And, and I just thought, I'm not doing that. Is that hard <laughs> to do on a set? Like to say no? Because there's got to be so much pressure, right? Like, because everyone looks at you funny. Like, yeah, like, no. Oh, God, it's one of these. Of course. Right? And you're difficult. <laughs> Suddenly you're right. difficult. But I said, I did not sign up for this. Yeah. I'm not licking a shower and I'm not going to hump a shower wall. But yeah. That's where your line is drawn. That is exactly where my line is drawn. <laughs> I mean, like, the very first movie I was ever on, I was supposed to be a, um, talk about Hollywood. I was supposed to be literally a day player. 
maybe two days yep. on set, and then the lead broke her arm. And they said, oh, we want to offer you this part. I read the script. There was nothing objectionable in the script. There were a lot of really famous soap opera actors at the time in the movie. And so I thought, okay, all good. And then they switched directors, and the director ended up being a former Playboy, apparently, director, which seemed fine. Thought maybe he's just trying to, you know, change course in his life. And so um, he said to me, hey, Amy, listen, um, we've made some changes. In this particular scene, um, we've turned it into a bondage scene um, in which you need to be topless. And I go, uh, no, no, that, that's actually not going to happen. And it was my first movie. And so I'm nervous. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what the rules are. Right. And um, are you kind of worried about career suicide also? Yes. Like you, you have to be, right? So I call my manager and I'm thinking, I go, you need to call this this guy and you know tell him this is not going to happen. And he goes, and my manager at the time said, why are you causing problems? Yeah. And I'm alone. I'm literally. And then the director says to me, um, we're losing light, you stupid bitch. And for every 15 minutes, I'm going to charge you for the production cost if you don't take your freaking top off and get your tits out, right? And I'm like, I'm in tears at that point because I'm like, I don't want to do this. Right. Like, it's okay. Like, okay, if it's for the storyline and it was something that was important, but I was just so trapped. And so at that time, it was like, I just did it. And I look back now and it's, I always said I will never have regret in my life. I had a full academic scholarship. I quit that, took on three jobs to come to California to really pursue my dreams. And that was the one regret I had is that I let that guy bulldoze me. Yeah. And after that, I just I went, get it, though. Like, I, I mean, it happens daily, right? Like daily. It's, it's probably so hard to to say no to that. Right. Yeah. And you have these, I mean, these, you know, girls met, whatever it is, you know, you have these dreams and I'm sure men, you know, as well, obviously with the Me Too movement, I think things have probably changed a lot. But back in the day, I had, you know, ex-boyfriends or people I, w I was dating that would say, you know, I was shooting with very famous photographers, people you probably really know or have heard of. And, you know, he's like reaching inside my underwear to readjust my package and I didn't know what to do. And, you know, at the time, you know, people probably on the outside are thinking, well, just, you know, that's ridiculous. You have power. And but you think it's such a small town. Yeah, it's such a small town. Yeah. And if one person says this is a difficult person to work with, you're done. Yeah, you're done. And that peer pressure, I think, when you're in those situations and and what you internalize in the moment is probably so hard to step up and like stand up for yourself in those situations because you don't want to be the rookie. Right. You don't want it right. You don't want to be the, the one that's like difficult, whatever. Like it's gotta be tough to, to deal with that dynamic. Yeah. And look, if that's the path that you want to take is that you're cool with nudity and that was, you know, your thing. Yeah. I was not a judgmental person, but it's like I was in a two year Meisner program. I was studying at Groundlings to do stand up. It just, there were so many things that I had so many dreams and aspirations that I knew that this could potentially just kill. But on this, at the same time, this guy's telling me he's going to sue me. No one is saying he can't do that. Right. Nothing in the script said, you know, and so, I mean, it was a very brief um, moment in time. Um, and, uh, but I still, I still to this day think, gosh, why didn't you have the backbone? You're such yeah. a strong woman. Why didn't you just tell that guy to go fuck himself? Yeah. You know? And so, um, yeah. It's that's, tough in the moment. It's just tough in the it moment. It is tough in the moment. You know? Not anymore. 
Not anymore. Yeah. I've definitely learned. That comes with age, though, and experience. It and, comes with age, experience. Yeah. I think it comes with just kind of coming into your own power and kind of understanding, not even being like in a stuck-up way, like what your self-worth is as a human being, not just in work, but also in relationships. Yeah. Kind of figuring out, like, yeah, I kind of deserve better than someone who doesn't understand that when they take money out of an ATM machine, they need to deduct that from right. their balance. Yeah. Yeah, I figured and, that out. You know, most people just by nature, I'd say probably more than 99% of the people, it's like they're not confrontational. People by nature are not confrontational. So right. when you're in those situations, um, whether it's that or you're about to get in a fight or whatever it might be, you're, most people, their first instinct is they freeze. Right. And when they freeze, it's like, it's either right it's fight or flight and most people pick flight flight yeah it's exactly just easier. which is crazy because after that experience i went to the other extreme so you know my dad was a very physically violent person and mm -hmm. i never thought i had that in me and so i carried so much hatred and anger after that movie around that i was actually at a gas station and um, just pumping gas. And I saw this man and his, his kid, and I saw him backhand his son in the face. Mm -hmm. And I charged straight over to the man and punched him right in his nose. <laughs> I love it. Not thinking like assault charges, right, right, right. being just sued. Instinct. It was yeah. this instinct of the opposite of flight, which was right. I just wanted to fight. Right. I literally was like wanted to put on a cape and I wanted right. to rescue every single abused kid in the right. world. And then, I mean, I didn't think about what my hand, what yeah. was going to happen. I just literally clocked the guy. And then I'm curious about this. Is it easier for you to do that to defend someone else than you because of your... Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. To give a voice to the voiceless yep. at this point. I mean, even, you know, I talked about my kids a lot when they were in the NICU and there were things being done, you know, it's like they always had to have their eyes checked because kids that are premature, sometimes like the retina things don't actually come together and they have to try to intervene. And so they would put those clamps. My kids were like literally four weeks old. And they yeah. weighed two pounds and they're clamping their eye. And I literally was just like, what are you doing? Yeah. And that my, they're crying. My, and it was weird because my kids never cried, mm. which is crazy. I mean, like I was so on top of everything. I didn't ever want to hear them cry because I just, I wanted their needs to be met. So right. I fed them before they, right before they would cry to be hungry. And I changed them before, because for me as you know, an abused kid, it was like, I don't want my kids to hurt and cry. Sure. And so um, I literally like, you know, the, the nurse couldn't get, you know, the clamp and the other nurse was like, well, I've done this before. Let, let me do it. And she, oh my, there I went beeline for her, grabbed her by her neck, threw her up <laughs> in the hospital against the hospital wall. And I was just like, get your fucking hands off my kid, you know? And it's like, I mean, I had to figure out like, Amy, that's, that's a, too much. Right, right, right. You, you need to, you <laughs> yeah. know, not like, like therapists. You're in the anger management yeah. uh, Therapists course. are like, you know, um, you <laughs> know. I'm going to dial it down a yeah. little bit. If, yeah. if you're a three, they say you probably won't get to a 10, but maybe you want to whatever. And I was like, I went to like a 12 right. on the anger Richter scale. Yeah. And I did need to kind of come back. And so, yeah, just with age, obviously a lot of reading and therapy and self kind of reflection. Um, don't worry, I'm not. No, no, no. Gonna I'm, just, <laughs> sure. I'm gonna pick my words really carefully. The rest of this, but um, but no, I definitely am. Look, as a little kid, I couldn't even look anyone in the eyes. 
Wow. I couldn't look. Even when I came to California, I always had downcast eyes. Which is weird that you chose acting and you chose... To expose yourself. But when you're an actress, that's not you. Right. Right. You're able to escape into another character. And so you're able to be vulnerable and expose yourself in an emotional way that I couldn't personally, which was so freeing, mm -hmm. really, for me. Um, but that yeah. must have been frustrating then because based on your looks they're trying to make you girl in hot tub the girl at right like <laughs> hot tub number three. no you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that's the the instinctual uh roles that they offer girls like that right um which i just wouldn't take right i mean a million times like do you <clears throat> want to go read for married with children again same hot tub right. girl number right. whatever or girl in the bed with charlie sheen on married or like what was that show he was on Charlie two, Sheen. Two and a half men. Two and a half men. Yeah. Um, whoever was sleeping with him yeah. randomly. And I was just like, no, I don't I don't really want to do that, you know? Was that frustrating? Because then you're like, you have to play the waiting game for a role that you would want to take when you're just getting, like sooner or later the word gets out, like, okay, stop sending this to Amy Weber. She's not going to do it, right? Yeah, I think for me it was just, let me just get more training under my belt. Let right. me just get, let me just validate myself through, you know, whatever classes and whatever education that I can get um, so that people will take me more seriously. And it was just really a lot of independent films yeah. um, until I could kind of <laughs> start to, you know, get the CSI reoccurring and some yeah. of these things. And I mean, look, I... I worked a lot. I was really lucky, but I just had, I just knew what I wanted. And I knew that Hollywood has such a narrow, like, opinion. The yeah. minute you go down that road, that's it. You are forever sort of categorized as yeah. that. I mean, look, even as a, if you look at some of the, you know, superheroes that were really worried, like, I don't want to take on the Superman role because then I will forever be known as Superman right. and then that's it. I can't break out of right. that particular role. I mean, look, obviously this wasn't as big as <laughs> Superman, but I just did not want to be seen as that. I mean, even, you know, dating Michael Bay, you know, briefly in life um, because, you know, I thought I could, you know, change him. He kind of not had a, he didn't have a great reputation in the business because people said he was really rude and behind the scenes he actually was a really great person a really nice guy and I know what I knew what his issues were and I always felt like it was like his adoption kind of thing gave yeah. him these these things where he you know like we all have like some fear you know fear of abandonment whatever it was and so um I just would never walk the red carpet with him I couldn't do it because then I would forever be known as so-and-so's girlfriend right and so I'm like <laughs> I'll meet you there did that bother him Yes, very much so. Yeah, I would think. Yeah. But I didn't want to be arm candy. No, I get it. <clears throat> I get it. Because then also it's like it's lose-lose for you, right? Because then any role you get, oh, it's because she's been Michael It's Bay. because it's like she's, you, you yeah. can't win. She, yeah. yeah, I can't win. There was just a no win. And so, you know, I mean, look, even now with real estate, it's like I have almost every, I have like my master's degree in real estate. I got my broker's license very early on. You're not supposed to take it unless you have at least three years experience. Or if you've made enough, you've actually sold enough, they let you take it early, which I had. Mm. And then it's like, you know, certified real estate specialist and, you know, senior real estate specialist, like all these things. I just keep, you know, luxury real estate because I feel like for me, you know, I need to prove to people that um, I take this very seriously. And I want to understand, and I want to understand every single facet so that people can trust me. 
um, with their home sale or their home purchase. And whether that's one million or 50 million, they know that right. basically like I can handle it. Do you watch that reality show on Netflix? I don't know what it's called about real estate. Is it uh, selling, selling sunset? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That do, one? You, do you watch that or no? I haven't. No, I haven't really watched it, but I was, I was kind of excited because I ended up with, um, a listing. I don't know the Oppenheimer guys very well, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, the, the seller had said, well, it was you or the Oppenheimer and, you know, we really want to go with you. And I was, I was like, okay, great. That sounds Score. wonderful. Then, you know, I get in my car, I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes I've made it. You know what right. I mean? I beat up the Oppenheimer guys. Yeah. Um, but no, I always wonder because look, I'm on the inside of real estate. I'm with the agency. I mean, we sold the Playboy Mansion and we sold the Spelling Mansion. So, you know, we're really known for selling some pretty high profile pieces of um, real estate. And I just always wonder, like, are they handing these deals yeah. to these women? Are these women actually like getting these deals on their own? Because it's not super easy to catch an $80 million fish. Just I'm letting sure. you know. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be so tough. Do you know Mike Palumbo? Have I asked you that before? Uh, I don't know. I don't think he's a designer. Um, oh yeah. You he, mentioned did, him. Did show, yeah. yeah. Like he designs these homes. They're like, like eight, like you said, 80 to a hundred, uh, even a hundred and fifty. I think they have one, 200 million. You may, you may even know the yes. listing. It's like, like who's buying these? Yeah. Well, you know, okay. So Adele just recently, um, bought the home. She had like a $50 million house. And so she just bought the one next to her. Um, I think it was Kristen, uh, oh my gosh, she's married to Dax Shepard. I think it might've been there. Kristen Bell? Bell. I think Bell. it might've been their home that, and so it's like, so she bought like another like 30, 40, you know what I mean? And right. it's like, what are we doing with this? We're just, it's a compound. We're creating compound. Are you just didn't, you don't want a neighbor. Maybe right. that's the situation. When they buy a house like that, is are they putting like, uh, they're not buying it in cash, right? Some are, yes. No shit. Yeah. There's a lot of foreign money that will come in, and that's why you have um, you have new laws that always are coming into place. And basically, there is a law call, called FERPTA, and that's where it's like a foreign entity that what they do is if you do not have a U.S. Um, if you're not filing taxes, the U.S. government will hold 30% of the proceeds, right, of the house, um, even if, you know what I mean, it's it's a buyer because it's the seller's responsibility to make sure, which is just so backwards, like right. that if you're selling to someone who is foreign, you have to make sure that those taxes get paid. And it's like, or if you're selling a house that you owned and you're not, you know, you're not filing taxes, then good luck getting that 30% ever right, back. Right, right. Yeah. I tell people, listen, just you need to file a corporation before you put your house on the market and just make sure that you have all your ducks in a row. Otherwise, it could take three years for you to get that money back. And then who knows how much of it will be left after that. Wow. Yeah, it's insane. And when they put, when they don't pay in cash, it's like they're putting 10% down. <laughs> like, is that is that a thing on those um, crazy... I $80 mean, million dollar spots? No, they're not usually 10% down. I mean, it's usually pretty a hefty it 30 is. to 50% down. Yeah. And is it? Because to finance that much money, I mean, that's crazy, right? Yeah. And, I mean, and do those people ever have a hard time getting finance? Like, do they have like. 
No. They don't have any issue. They don't have any issue. Okay. No. I mean, they have enough assets right. that basically, and it's not like you're getting um, like a pre-approval right. from these people, <laughs> right? I mean, you're speaking to their business manager and their financial manager that right. are basically saying, we have had a relationship with so-and-so right. for this many years. Basically, like they're good for it. Are there times where you don't, you never even speak to the actual buyer? Yes. Really? Yeah. Actually, um, I was selling um, a pretty stately home in um, Glendale, of all places, called the Toll House. And it was named that because um, the teachers of this particular school, um, Toll High School, mm. it was their home. So it was a historical home. And there were so many like rock stars and people that um, their assistants would come and FaceTime or do a walkthrough. And then there's also a lot of foreign entities that their you know assistants have power of attorney and so they don't see the house until they move in wow which is crazy yeah and then furnishing those bad boys is just gonna be insane i mean so fun they're not going to ikea <laughs> they're not listen if they're going to ikea they're they're gonna grab some people at home right. depot on yeah. the way home from ikea to put those things together That's so funny yeah. i know a uh an interior designer in la and uh she was trying to get this job um this guy from the middle east bought like a like a 40 or 50 million dollar house yeah. in laguna and he went to z gallery <laughs> to seriously yeah yeah she was like she was appalled <laughs> was oh like my. she couldn't get her head wrapped around that he um, went to z gallery that, that he went to z gallery like i kind of get it but you but know listen, i'm married to a middle easterner so right. i i kind of understand that yeah there's the, the mirrored like, no, furniture z gallery. <laughs> like, he just Decked it all out, Z Gallery. Wow. Yeah, she was really mad. I'm yeah, sure. My, my buddy's wife. Yeah. I mean, listen, I I love a good <laughs> CB2 Z Gallery, but when it comes to that kind of thing, you got to have basically custom right furnishings. Right. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's yeah. so. Hey, there's cool. a rug on page nine in that catalog I just got. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, I'd like two of those. <laughs> two of those. How's that work? <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. That's so funny. And the funny thing with the Z Gallery and even Pottery Barn Restoration Hardware, I mean, none of that shit's in stock. Right. It's not. I mean, you're waiting. You know what right. I mean? He so you're waiting been, anyway. He would have been better off at Ikea. He could have just got right. his shopping thing and just loaded up, you know, A59, whatever, under the cart and just right. been done with it. Oh, my God. I know. It's crazy. So, yeah, it's been, I don't know, it's been a wild ride. And it's amazing for us to come back together and yeah. connect in this way, which is yeah. really awesome. I had no idea that you had done stand-up or... Yeah. Yeah, I did stand-up for 10 years. I started opening for my dad back in, like, 93. How was that? Uh, it was fun, but I never... Um, it's weird. I never actually felt like a, like a stand-up comedian. I wasn't the best writer Okay. Uh, material wise and I had like a reverse stand-up career like normally you'd go to open mic night you'd work out five minutes then you'd uh, graduate to 10 minutes and then 15 minutes and you'd, you know you'd, you'd grind away at the you know comedy clubs up on sunset yeah. I started doing five minutes to 2,000 people opening for my dad so so like, were other comedians like did they hate you for it I don't even know because I was never even plugged into the scene like <laughs> I didn't even know any other comedians probably you know Just talking shit behind your back yeah I'm sure you know so yeah I kind of had like a reverse career like I started at 2,000 people I didn't do a I didn't work a comedy club until like my maybe fifth year of doing stand-up wow yeah I worked here the the what's well, gone now but the Riviera Hotel the Riviera Comedy Club okay. and there was uh, one called Laugh Tracks at the Palace Station out here and um, you know, a couple other clubs like in, in Houston, Texas and stuff. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, it's weird. I, I always felt like a host that was doing stand up. Got it. More than a, like, 
I certainly wasn't Chris Rock, you know? Like, um, what was your, do you, do you remember what any of your bits yeah, were well, about? Well, that's the other thing. It's like, I was never me on stage because okay. I, opening for my dad, you know, everybody's 60 years old or older. Oh my God. Um, you Hope know, everyone was, brought their teeth tonight. Yeah, I was 22. <laughs> I'm in Branson, Missouri. I can't relate to these people. And like, oh I, you know, couldn't really talk about, you know, I talk like a truck driver normally. So I had to be squeaky clean and yeah. it just was never, I so was you're more of really, like an audience warmer. That's like kind of how I up. felt. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I started doing the comedy clubs, I was like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah. I'm not ready for this. Like, even though I'd been doing two shows a day, six days a week for at the first time I did a comedy club for five years, yeah. you know, so I've already done like a thousand shows, whatever. I was like, oh, my God, this is nerve wracking. You know, so then I had to like learn how to work on that kind of material and stuff. And then that's the other thing is like now, well, you know. Now a comedian you would never do you, like you won't see Joe Rogan do the same set right. longer than like six months. Well, because of what YouTube or whatever. Correct. I mean, it's like right. me. I'm not going to wear the same dress right. on the red carpet. Right. Back then, comedians like once you found twenty to thirty minutes that worked, that was your act for years. Wow. Um, and so and you could get by with that. You didn't have to worry sure. about new right. Material. Yeah, yeah, because you were always going to different places and no one ever saw you on TV or anything. So it was like yeah. it was new for them for the first time, you know, and. and when you do it enough times, you can kill with it. So that's kind of how I was. Like I had, I had like fifteen, but you know, anywhere from fifteen to thirty minutes that could kill a uh, <laughs> sixty and up crowd. Yeah, right. uh, but then when you dropped me in the comedy club, it was like, ooh, I had like three good minutes. <laughs> you know? Wow. Um, yeah. So that it was hard to to adjust with that. But you know, I used to open for like Dionne Warwick and Tom Jones and the Four Tops and the Temptations. And I mean, you name anyone that's on the living or dead segment of Jeopardy, and I opened for them wow. pretty much. Yeah. And are you so, still in touch with those people, like through social media? Do they remember? Yeah, not really. I don't talk to any, um, you know, because I had very limited interaction yeah. with all the people I opened for, you know, other than just, you know, hey, good show or, or after. Because Dion is now on Twitter, right? Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. She's like a big yeah. tweeter. Yeah, she's on Twitter. She acknowledged um, <clears throat> some rapper, I think. I can't remember who it was a oh, couple yeah. months ago. And he was like, I can't believe you know who I am. Like, I he was so excited. I can't wish I could, I wish I could think of who yeah. it was. It wasn't T-Pain, but... It, and it wasn't like Little Nas <clears throat> no. or anybody. Maybe the guy that dates with the Kardashians, maybe? Oh, not Travis Scott. Was it him? maybe him? I don't or know. the other one, the previous one, maybe. Oh, I don't no, know. Can't Anyways. keep up. Can't keep up with those Kardashians. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty bad. You ever meet them? Uh, I have Kim? not. I've been no? mistaken for Kim many times, but I have not. Met I met them. Kim a few times. She's very nice. She's a sweet girl. Yeah, they're I actually heard. all very nice. I mean, I'm, I haven't seen them in probably 15 years or so but yeah. they were all very nice and that was like the beginning of them kind of taking off but. I mean look I have to give it to them that they have they seem to even though they're they're larger than life for most of us yeah um they've kept it pretty authentic I yeah. believe I believe that I don't think that they've really I mean of course they're going to withhold certain things um but you know I know Kim had struggled with trying to get pregnant and she was really forthcoming with that and kind of showed a lot of that on the show and the arguments that they get into so I yeah. don't think that they're trying to pass off that they're some perfect family by any stretch of the imagination and I don't feel like they're amping it up for ratings right. either I think that's really who they yeah. are would you ever have wanted that level of fame it seems awful doesn't it it, yeah, it does seem really in, intrusive. Like Justin Bieber, you ever see some like these videos of him like paparazzi? Just don't leave these people alone. Yeah, like, walking backwards, just <laughs> videoing you, like just walking to your car. You can't do anything. 
you can't do anything. And then, you know, obviously they're going to catch you when you, the worst mm -hmm. angle, looking the worst, and then they're going to put you side by side when you're basically on, you know, a photo shoot and then tell you you've had all this work done. And yeah. I don't know, it's, it's hard. I mean, look, I, I didn't set out for the fame. That was really never my thing. My whole thing was... I want to do meaningful work. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea of taking words on a piece of paper and bringing them to life. I mean, I even, you know, it's so funny because I went from doing, you know, movies and, and some horror movies. And then I ended up producing some Christian movies. Really? Um, and not, you know, Christian movies. The, the first Christian movie that I produced, it wasn't like puppies and, and butterflies. It was really... It was real life. And it was kind of like the Christian version of Crash. Mm. Do you remember the movie I've, Crash? I just watched it like literally three days Amazing. ago. Amazing. Yeah. So my, a really good friend of mine, Dan Harris, his father was the producer, Mark oh, Harris okay. of that. And I think he won um, an Oscar yeah. for, for that, for that movie. But, yeah. but the movie really was about um, just shit that happens in real life. I mean, look, yeah. you can be a Christian. It doesn't mean you're going to have a perfect life. Right. I mean, so it was about this intersection of people. So one guy was having an affair. Another guy was contemplating suicide. Um, and so, you know, I love... Did they all connect? All they the did yeah. at a diner. So oh, they wow. all end up sort of in this diner and then the diner gets robbed. Oh, wow. Were you in the movie also? I was in the movie yeah. also. And robbed like Pulp Fiction style kind of thing? Yeah. Remember, yeah. Bad. And, wow. and so you have to kind of come to the conclusion, like, what is your relationship with God at that moment? Mm. And um, there's blood. And there's, you know, and it was funny because when um, I started doing some of the rewrites because I was working with, you know, the writers on it. And then um, it was really cute because one is like a Sunday school teacher. And so, um, you know, I've lived a much different life, a little bit of a faster life than, yeah. than he had. Just he's a sweet, sweet gentleman. But he had written a scene, which you will probably be able to understand. He had said that um, basically, you know, he, this girl meets this guy at a club and then of course he takes her home and he has a wife. And, you know, the next scene is that um, she's in her pajamas and she's on the side of the street. And so I kind of had to say, um, you know, Sheldon, I don't know anyone that goes to a club with pajamas right. in their purse. So right. she wouldn't have like button up yeah. like button up pajama you know what I mean like with her slippers like it just was not real life I'm like why don't you just put her in one of his shirts maybe uh -huh. because that's really right. not what's gonna after. happen the morning yeah. after yeah, yeah. she's not gonna walk have like shame. <laughs> her, yeah. her you know she's just gonna be in her wrinkled yeah. clothes no prepares for the walk of shame yeah no no yeah. and he was like oh gosh yeah I guess I understand that's probably <laughs> what would, what happens you yeah. know and it was kind of a hard conversation he's right. just like a really strong Christian yeah. and for me to be like, uh, yeah, we need that's to That's not how that would play out in real life. Yeah, yeah. that's not reality. But, uh, but yeah, no, the movie was, uh, really well received. And, um, I, I mean, I thought people were going to be like, oh my gosh, because it, again, it's not like Christian Cameron kind of a movie. It is real life and people are going to jail and people are trying to, you know, slip people's throat. It's just, it was really crazy. But, um, but yeah, just to kind of, so funny just to come full circle Right. Yeah. And then to be able to kind of have that to go from like horror movies. I know when we first came in, Travis had a doll. In yeah, it's like uh, a Chucky doll. I, I thought it was, was Chucky. Going on in there. And I have a really vivid imagination because when yeah. I did horror movies, there was no acting involved. 
I mean, like I remember shooting like in Omaha, Nebraska or something. And it's yeah. one of these houses that have, you know, those floor heaters, the vents that are in the yeah, floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> fucked up. Those vents are fucked up because honestly, like I don't want to step on them. Right. Because even <laughs> as a 50 year old woman. Right. There's something living. Something can grab you and just drag grab, you in there. Yeah. Forever. And so there, I did a movie. There was a scene where I actually had to... Um, I had like scars from when I had tried to apparently kill myself in yep. the movie and I had to like fall asleep and put my hand mm. like, yeah, I knew the actor was under the bed. <laughs> I know the actor was under the bed in real life, but still I was like, right. you know what I mean? Like, right. I was like, oh my God, you know, cause I know he's going to touch like with his disgusting mangled hand that, yeah. you know, special effects makeup has done, which I saw special effects makeup do the hand while I'm in the makeup trailer, but I'm still like flipping out, shitting my pants that this guy, like, this monster, I've convinced myself it's a monster is under the bed. Right. Yeah. I have a question. When they do those movies, when, when we watch those movies, the music is like the exclamation oh, point on that kind of a scene. Yes. Do they play that music just at least for inspiration or some kind of music when you're doing the scene or it's just quiet? No, it's quiet. That's, quiet on the set. It's weird. Let's go. Yeah. And then most of the time, I mean, especially if you're working with a, a, a bigger actor, you know, they'll get his close-ups and I've got to get my face squeezed as tight to camera as possible so his eyeline looks like he's, mm. you know, it's a good eyeline. Yep. But then when they flip it around for, you know, my close-ups, I'm looking at an X on a stand. <laughs> I have an X. Oh, wow. So I'm acting. he doesn't have the time. He, he doesn't have the time. He can't be bothered. He or she with, your with my close-ups. Not right. everyone. Listen, when you're working with really the top of the line people, A-list, they will stay. They will stay for and you. And that's interesting, right? Yes. The big guys. Will stay. Are team players. Right. But the, the more other ones level, like to play the, uh, well, I'm the lead. Because they're insecure. Right. Because in reality, they still have that insecurity because they really are one job away from being jobless. Right. And so they just have massive insecurities. And then you have like basically, you know, this woman, you know, reading like, and the boys, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, I'm going to kill you, right. you know, and you're just like, oh my God, don't kill me. You know, you're trying yeah. to like act off of an ex and this woman's reading basically, you know, like by rote. It's yeah, it's weird. I, um, I would have loved to have been an actor. I'm so bad at the audition. It's. It's weird. Like I can get up. I haven't been on stage telling jokes since February 14th of 2002. Wow. I could get up tomorrow and struggle through 15 minutes, but I could do it. I really wouldn't have too much anxiety over it. Yeah. If you said to me right now, here's, here's four pages of dialogue. You're going to go sit at a table like this and there's going to be three people uh, that are basically going to judge you that you're going to audition for, I fucking can't do it. Well, you know, they have classes for that. That's a totally different beast because yeah. being a good auditioner and right. being a good actor are two totally different things. And that's funny you said that because I feel like if you gave me the part, I feel like I'd kill it. Yes. But in in that setting, the audition yes. setting, just a handful. I only went like maybe three or four auditions and I was like, yeah, yeah this I isn't can't for do me. It. I can't do this. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's actually like an auditioning class right. that teaches like cold reading. It teaches you basically how to get past that because I know um one final thought when I auditioned for the very final time for Sun on the Beach you know I had to be in a, ba a bathing suit right. because the show you were going to be in a bathing suit sure. whether that was a one piece a two piece whatever 
ultimately I ended up in a lot of clothing in that, in that show because I was kind of a, like a really interesting character and not a lifeguard all the time. And so I was like a new lifeguard. So I was always in dresses and weird things, but for the audition, it was sort of a, almost a screen test in a way in front of, you know, some of the executives. And um, so I thought if I'm going to be in a bathing suit, I'm literally going to be in a bathing suit. So I went out and had a leather thong bikini made. Not you just go. like a thong. I like leather, it. Leather. Black leather thong. And so I walk into the room. That's where Amy Weber Unleashed was born. That is I think where it was that day. I unleashed the beast. <laughs> because um, when I walked into that room, there were 40 people. Oh, wow. In that room that I had to audition yeah, in front of. Yeah, I can't do that. And um, it's really difficult because what happens is before you screen test, you sign your contracts. And they say, like, don't think about the money. Don't pick, you know, don't put the uh, cart before the horse. But you've seen what you're going to make. You see your future, right, for at least the next year. And then your bumps that you get for, like, year two and three. Um, and it's like you're trying not to think about it, but you've signed it. Like even on soap operas before you screen test, you kind of see. And so I kind of knew, but, and Howard Stern was, yeah. you know, in the room at the time. And, and that was a huge deal. Like, I mean, Howard Stern, like some people now, some younger people listening, like they don't, I don't even know if they realize like Travis, I don't even know if Travis even understands how big Howard Stern, like no. Jesus, nothing for you. That means nothing. nothing to you, right? Nothing. That's just crazy, right? He was a king of radio. King of all media. King of all media. Yeah. Yeah. Nicest guy. So nice. Yeah. Coolest yeah. guy. I mean, I just obviously. Nothing I think like his. Uh, his on persona. Nothing. I know. I think my husband was saying, you know, he was a little bit degrading to women. I don't think I really listened to his show in the beginning yeah. when that was happening. I mean, they're just bits. Whatever. Like now it would. Yeah. Forget oh, gosh, it. Now they'd be it. under the cross. Forget he, it. He would not have a show. No. But um, but yeah, it was, you know, you have to go in and you just got to like, you know, put your big girl pants on, even if it's yeah. a thong. At that time, and put your uh, big girl thong on. Yeah, put your big girl thong on, yeah. and just sort of, you know, everything that you've done and, and rehearsed. And you, I had to. I'm not gonna hold my sides, right? Because that's super unprofessional. And so, had to memorize, you know, all twelve pages of dialogue. And wow. yeah, and a lot of times those, at least again, I only have like four or five to to, to draw experience from. But like, it's such an uncomfortable setting. A lot of times they don't even tell you like when to start. They don't tell you. Like, like you come in, they're like, state your name, whatever. Slate, you, yeah. yeah you, you, Slate your name, do your profile. Right. And then like, there's like uncomfortable, at least with me, like, <laughs> right. like, okay, do I just go? Like, are you going to read them with me? Or are you like, right. what are we doing? Like, it's yeah. weird. And then they're, their expressions, are, they're like poker face. Poker face. Nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I walked in the room, I thought, okay, the only thing I can do is to somehow take control of the energy in this room. And uh, I walked in and I was like, where's the party? <laughs> I was yeah. just like, oh, my God. <laughs> because what else was I? I otherwise, I'd be so nervous. And I'm right. like, I go, come on, man, let's do this. Right. And so yeah. it's like I see those comedians also, you know, that I'm watching on some of these shows like America's Got Talent. And when they come in with just so pumped up. Yeah. Right. That energy, like there is not a single ounce of like bad negative poker face energy yeah. that is going to bring these people down. Right. And you kind of have to go in with that. Yeah. Like almost go in with the idea, even when, for me, when I meet sellers nowadays, like I just go in saying this listing is mine. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I just have that confidence yeah. that it's, it's coupled with that. And I don't give a fuck. I don't give a shit. Right. Whether I get it. Or and not. It's, isn't that crazy? What positive results that 
attitude will yield? Yes, because the entertainment industry is literally uh, 90% confidence yeah. and 10% talent. Yeah. I wish I knew that then because I only had the 10% <laughs> talent. Um, I didn't have the confidence. I didn't know. Yeah. 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 You're dismissing that 90%. Yeah. Percent. Do you have wow. any regret like with anything from acting or choices you made or anything like that? I don't. I mean, look, I, I was invited to a lot of different um, meetings that I felt were inappropriate, inappropriate settings, inappropriate times uh, at night. Um, do I think had I have attended those, would I have maybe gotten to A-list status? Potentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. I used to always tell because, you know, we worked with a lot of girls. Yes. You know, back in the day when we had the PR firm, uh, me and Gio. And um I used to always tell them, like, if it can't happen between nine and five, it's bullshit. And I used to use Michael Bay. I used to say, Michael Bay does not want to discuss your career over dinner. He just doesn't. Get nope. over it. Yep. You're lying to yourself. Yes. Yeah. But so many still. Did it. They, they chased the carrot. I know. Yeah. Yeah. But I get it. Yeah, look, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to fault anyone. I'm not going to judge anyone. Everyone has to basically live with their own decisions. And mm -hmm. if people are cool with it, great. You know, I, I don't think I'm, I'm here to judge anyone. But for me personally, it just felt like I gave up so much. I mean, to have like the first person to go to college in my entire family, let alone the first person to get an academic scholarship. And, um, you know, just to give all that up to come to California alone and then to kind of battle through the cancer I just needed to look myself in the mirror and to feel like I like what's looking back at me and I, I don't feel bad, right? I don't feel like uh, you kind of, you know, gave in or, you know, your principles and the morals that you set out for yourselves, you did not compromise those at all. So other than the one movie that I didn't stand up for myself the first time I was on an actual movie set, um, there really are no regrets. I yeah. think every single moment, every hurdle, every bad good, it led me to here. And I feel like this point, yeah. I'm exactly where I need to be. That's good. Yeah. Well, it's been an amazing. Yeah, this was fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. I know you normally don't do this, but I appreciate it. No, it's it. all good. No one invites me. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, rarely. You're amazing. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. But yeah, I love that you, that you come in and you're committed to doing this and, um, those shows you did yesterday, like you're get you're obviously you're getting better and better at it. Um, just figuring out what you want your voice to be. Not even I shouldn't even say better at it. It's just really you just figuring out like what do I want this show to be. Yeah. Um, but like yesterday, that uh, you know anybody listening or watching, like you got to find the episode where she talks about cancer, your battle with and the infertility. Yeah, I mean yeah. That, that was really like uh, thank you. That was heavy heavy stuff but good it's good for uh for people to hear yeah i think look i think podcast at the end of the day you can kind of try to you know search for that um you know unicorn or that leprechaun at the end of the the rainbow and try to please everyone but i think if you authentically are yourself and you're just sharing things that you've gone through in the hopes that they may help someone that's listening yeah. um i just think that's a win you know, yeah. I think to, to try to figure out like as a podcast, oh, what's going to make people happy and what's a good topic? It's like if you just are authentically you yep. and you have enough life lived and mistakes made and you've come through a lot of things and you're able to share those in an authentic way. Yep. Um, I think it's worth listening to for sure. A hundred percent. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jono. Thank you. Yeah. All right, everyone. I really appreciate you guys listening and watching another episode. We'll look forward to the next one. And again, um, hey, when it's raining, look for those rainbows. And when it's dark, go find those stars.